Welcome to Element Church. I'm so, so glad that you are here today. As a pastor, um, I have found myself in an interesting situation on a number of different occasions. And one of those situations is I've been in a hospital room when someone's heart has stopped beating. Now, when that happens... When that happens, doctors and nurses come rushing into the room, as you'd expect they come rushing into the room, seemingly out of nowhere, and everyone, they come rushing into that room, and they're doing everything they can to restart the patient's heart that has stopped. And all of them in the room, the experts in that room, they, they are so focused on the priority of getting the patient's heart to restart, But imagine with me if in that situation, imagine with me if the doctors and nurses, they rush into the room, they make the observation that the the patient's heart has indeed stopped beating, but the patient's arm is also broken. And instead of restarting the heart, they, they shift their focus and they begin to mend the broken arm. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, but that would be a mistake, right? That'd be a mistake. The answer is yes. That's an easy one. The answer is yes. Now, I know that might be kind of a brash picture, okay? But but that image, that image is a lot more like the church than than we might care to admit. While, While the patient in front of us is literally dead, we're busy trying to mend the broken arm. Instead of restarting the heart. Well, welcome to Element Church. On that note, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element. It's an honor of mine to share the message with you today. Uh, So whether you are joining us in person or whether you're joining us at a later date online, uh, we're thankful that you're here today. The big idea for the message that I get to share with you today is this. We will never reach the lost without a burden for the lost. The main scripture is Jeremiah chapter 23. We're not going to read the entire chapter, but we're going to look at a a couple different sections of Jeremiah 23. Now, Jeremiah is a book from the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a real person, a prophet, who spoke on behalf of God. Jeremiah is sometimes known as the weeping prophet. He has a great burden for the nation of Israel. Their disobedience and their sin has grown so wicked that God will use the Babylonians to exercise judgment on Israel, sending them into exile and captivity. The general population of Israel was wicked, and the leadership, both the spiritual and political leadership, are living in deep sin as well. The book that comes after Jeremiah is Lamentations. And in Lamentations, Jeremiah laments over the destruction of Jerusalem. Lamentations is literally a funeral song for the city of Jerusalem. There's so much that we can learn from the burden of Jeremiah. Fast forward to our day in 2018. We are living in post-Christian America There's very few that would argue that. The the truths of God are vague at best in our culture. It's now the minority of of the population that shows any interest 
in pursuing the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jeremiah speaks to a wicked generation, and I believe our culture today is a very easy parallel to Jeremiah and his day. We can learn a lot from Jeremiah. So the big question we're going to ask and answer in the message today is this. What does the the burden of Jeremiah teach us about reaching the lost? And number one is this, a burden requires repentance. A burden requires repentance. We're going to start by looking at verse 11 and 12. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 23, 11 and 12. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you one today. You can stop by guest services, ask for one today. It'd be our honor to give you one free of charge, no strings attached today. It'll be up on the screens as well. Verse 11 says this. Even the priests and prophets are ungodly, wicked men. I have seen their despicable acts right here in my own temple, says the Lord. Therefore, the paths they take will become slippery. They will be chased through the dark, and there they will fall. For I will bring disaster upon them at the time fixed for their punishment. I, the Lord, have spoken." So here, the Lord positions himself against these false prophets. They are speaking lies as if they are truth. And in the next couple of verses, Judah, the uh, southern kingdom of Judah, is compared to the northern kingdom of Israel and Sodom and Gomorrah, both of whom were destroyed because of their wickedness. If you're compared to either one of those nations, that's not a good sign. Verse 15 says this, Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says concerning the prophets. I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink. For it is because of Jerusalem's prophets that wickedness has filled this land. God is going to judge this nation. He's going to judge the leadership very harshly. On a side note, ask yourself this question in light of verse 15. What are the people I influence filled with because of me? Now let me pause for a moment and and say to those of you in the room that are are not Christians, if you're here and you're not a Christian today, I'm so glad that you're here today, so glad. And you've come on a great Sunday because in a moment I'm going to share with you what, what God desperately wants for you and, and you have my permission, not that you need it, but you, you have my permission today to call us Christians out on the carpet today because the Christians in your life ought to be adding something to your life in light of what we've just read here. And I, I hope that you'll see that in the message today. The false prophets Jeremiah is speaking against are condemned by God through Jeremiah for their personal sin. They are wretchedly wicked themselves. They speak a false message. They twist the truth of God into a lie. And they live in personal sin with no desire to turn from it. Francis Chan, in his book Multiply, articulates the same issue in the modern day church when he says this. 
It's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him, carry on his ministry, and become like him in the process. Yet somehow, many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ, a follower who doesn't follow. How does that make any sense? Many people in the church have decided to take the name of Christ and nothing else. Last weekend, uh, my wife Aubrey and I, we took our kids over to Snowy Range and went skiing over the weekend, and it was just an awesome, awesome day. We have two kids, five-year-old daughter, a seven-year-old son, and uh, for the day, we had, we had our kids go to ski school because there's no way I'm teaching them how to ski. It's worth every penny, every penny. And so we had them go to ski school, and we had like a five-hour date day skiing, and we had a fantastic time, and our kids had a fantastic time as well. At the end of the day, uh, we, we come back to ski school where the bunny slope was at, the magic carpet ride thing, and, and uh, ski school was wrapping up for the day. We got the chance to kind of see what our kids learned through ski school that day. It was awesome. And we also had an opportunity to kind of observe the whole ski school operation in action. And as I was standing there watching my kids up on the bunny hill coming down, um, I made some observations about some of the, the, the other people kind of in that same area. Now, I was standing right next to a dad who was talking to his two kids and just happened to overhear what was going on. And his two kids were a little bit older than mine, probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old, and they were not having it. Like, they did not have a good day at ski school. Tears coming down both their faces. They were so frustrated, so upset. They couldn't make it down the bunny hill without wrecking like 20 times, and they were just, they were not cutting the mustard in ski school. They were ready to give up. And I overheard what these kids were talking about. They were, they were talking about how they really wanted to go to the big hill and ski with their friends. And the dad, you, I felt bad for him. You could tell the dad was just frustrated, ready to give up. He had spent, you know, however, many, uh, however much money on uh, his kids to go to ski school that day. And the dad finally just said, look, if you want to go to ski school, or, or if you want to go, go ski with your friends, I get that. You know, that makes total sense. But until you learn how to ski here on the bunny hill, you can't go over there. Because I promise you, you'll be miserable and you'll hate every minute of it. And, you know, moments later, the kids decided to quit. They just decided, no, that's it. I'm done with, with skiing. I'm not doing it. Listen, listen, those kids, they, they wanted to hang out with their buddies on the big hill. But they were unwilling to go through the pain and the discomfort of learning how to ski. Now, we like the idea of heaven, right? You know, we like the idea of Jesus. And generally speaking, we, we like the, the, the message of Jesus. We like Jesus. And when we talk about the love of Jesus, we like that, okay? You, most of you wouldn't be in church today if you didn't like the message of, of Jesus. What we don't like is the concept of surrender and repentance. We don't like that. We don't like that concept. 
And God very clearly, through the prophet Jeremiah, squarely places the blame on the personal sin of the people, especially the spiritual leaders. They know better, yet they continue living in direct disobedience to God. Simply put, you cannot lead someone to a place that you haven't been. We want revival. We want for lots and lots of people to turn to faith in Jesus as their Lord. But before we ever consider other people, we need to seriously pause and consider the question for ourselves. Have I been revived? Forget everybody else. Have I been revived? Have I believed in Jesus for salvation? Can I specifically point to a spiritual crisis moment in my life where I believed in Jesus as Lord, surrendering my life to Him instead of serving myself? Turned from sin in repentance and actually experienced change. Has that happened in me? The biggest roadblock, I believe, to mass revival in the church are actually church people. People who claim the name of Christ, but don't actually know Christ. And and hear me out on this, and I say this in love, many today in the church, the church at large and absolutely element church, and I've been guilty of this at points in my life as well, but many in the church are banking on an empty prayer and an insincere baptism that, that did not include either surrender or repentance, and you're banking on that, but you've never experienced salvation. And I'm telling you, If that prayer was insincere and included neither surrender nor repentance, you are not saved according to the definition of the Scriptures. Now, we don't like that message, do we? It cuts deep to every single one of us. So have have you really been revived? Have you really been changed? Now, I know we're only one point into the message today. But I want to just just take a moment and bow our heads and pray. For real, all of us, right now. And just pray, pray this right now for you. Nobody else but you. Lord, have I been revived? Have I really, genuinely placed my full faith and trust in in you? Have I turned from my sin? Have I received your salvation? Now, nobody looking around. Is there anyone here that would just say today, I'm not sure that I know Jesus as my Savior. I'm not sure if I've really surrendered. I'm not sure if my belief has involved surrendering to Him I'm not sure if I've ever actually repented and turned from my sin. I'm not sure if I've experienced that gift of salvation that Jesus gives when I believe and repent. But I want to today. 
I want to right now. If that's you, would you just, nobody else looking around, would you just slip up your hand acknowledging to God, that's me today. I want Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Good for you. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if that's you, whether you raised your hand or not, you can pray this prayer silently with me. This is between you and God. Jesus, I believe that you are God. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for rejecting you. I am completely surrendering my life to you. Please, Jesus, come into my life and make me a new creation. Amen. Amen. You can lift your heads up. Let's celebrate several people that uh, gave their life to Christ just now. We'll never reach the lost without a burden for the lost. So what does the burden of Jeremiah teach us about reaching the lost? The first thing we saw is that a burden requires repentance. Number two is this. A burden needs rejection. A burden needs rejection. Let's look, look at verses 16 through 18. It says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says to his people. Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. They keep on saying to those who despise my word, Don't worry. The Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, No harm will come your way. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what He is really saying? Has even one of them cared enough to listen? A couple of things for us to note here before we continue. These false prophets were making up their message. Secondly, they were falsely assuring the people who were living in sin that everything would be fine. And lastly, they hadn't even been in the presence of God. That's like a pastor that doesn't pray. It's not good, right? That's not a good thing. Verse 28 and 29, it continues and says this. These false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw or chaff and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? So there's a contrast between the true prophet who speaks the word of God and these false prophets. The false prophet is like the chaff, basically worthless, worthless. While the true prophet's message is like grain. It is substantial. It is able to nourish. The, the false prophets, they've made up their message from their own opinions. They've lied about God's message and have spread false hope. And most tragically, these false prophets haven't even been in the presence of God 
And by contrast, the words of God are like a fire that purifies, like a hammer that smashes the rock, like good grain that satisfies. Now, on a lighter note, does anyone in the room ever get hangry? Anybody? Do you admit I get hangry? Okay. Or, or you know, maybe put this another way. Uh, do you live with anyone that gets hangry from time to time? Happen to anyone? Now, if you don't know what, if you're unfamiliar with the phrase hangry, here's what hangry means. Hungry, angry. Hungry, angry. That's what it means. Now, uh, we have kind of a running joke in our household, uh, especially with, between my wife and I. But uh, my wife, Aubrey, and my daughter, Madeline, they, they are known to often get hangry. And if we're honest, it, it probably happens to all of us in the household. But uh, there will be times in the middle of a conflict, like we're in the middle of an argument, halfway through an argument, and, and we get halfway through the argument, and all of a su- sudden, we stop, and one of us makes the observation. It's just like, man, I think I just need a snack. Does that happen to anybody? <laughs> Ever happen to anybody? Okay. Sometimes that's it. And you stop, stop and you realize, I'm not even frustrated about anything. I think I'm just hungry, you know. And so you get a snack and everything's good, you know. It's, it's all good. Well, uh, we've also observed with our daughter Madeline that she always wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. It doesn't matter what side of the bed she wakes up on. It's always the wrong side of the bed. And so we've discovered with Maddie that when she wakes up, we just need to like carry her to the table and feed her breakfast. Because when we do, everything will go better. Everything will be better that morning if we just get some breakfast in that little girl. It's amazing though, isn't it, how a good meal satisfies And that's the picture that that we have here in Jeremiah. The true word of God sustains, satisfies, and purifies. While the opinions of mere people leave us feeling empty and confused, it does nothing good for us. So let me give you two challenges on this, two practical things, I hope. Uh, The first thing is this. Stop listening. Stop listening. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Think about this question, you know. uh, I can't answer this for you, but think about this. Prayerfully think about this. What are some sources in your life you pay attention to that you know are a complete and utter waste of time and actually bad for you, okay? Maybe it's the news, you know, uh, whatever, you know, format that might be on. Maybe it's Facebook or Twitter or some kind of other social media or something like that. Maybe it's a, a friend or a coworker or or even a family member or something that, that just has awful, terrible advice that they're always giving you that, that's not godly and just leads you down a bad path. Now, I'm not suggesting that we be rude, okay? Uh, Paul always talks about do this with gentleness and respect, and, and we, we, need to, we need to learn from that. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we be rude. Uh, I'm not suggesting the only book we can read is the Bible, and I'm not suggesting that the only movies we can watch are Christian movies either. We do, however, need better discernment. Probably all of us in the room, I know I need this for myself, we probably do need better discernment when it comes to the voices and the influences that we allow to speak into our lives. So what influences need silenced in your life. Think on that this week. Pray on that this week. And, and let me take it a step further for parents in the room today. 
Part of our role as a parent is to guard the hearts of our children. So, so are there any influences that we haven't been silencing in our kids' lives that we need to silence? Okay, that's good. We should do some of that as, as parents. So stop listening. And secondly, start listening. Start listening. The false prophets were condemned because they had not been in the presence of God. Yet the message of Jesus is, if you seek me, you will find me, right? I'm knocking at the door, just waiting for you to open it. If you pray for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom. Isn't that awesome? That's good news, right? We need some of that. We all need as much of that as, as we can get. God longs for you to pursue Him. Like we know we need to make more time to read our Bible. We just often don't make the time. And we allow other things to creep into our schedule. we gotta, got to schedule time, make the time. We know that we should pray, but it feels awkward and we're not sure how to start, and so we just sleep in instead, and we, we don't make the time. So let me issue a, a challenge to you. Think of it more as an opportunity, though, than a challenge, because I'll tell you what, God has changed my life and continues to do so with the, the time, the actual time that I invest into reading the Scripture and to spending time in prayer. And so let me challenge you, spend more time this week in a day in prayer and reading your Bible than you do looking at your phone. And I'm not talking about work-related stuff. I'm talking about just leisure time, you know? We just, you know, how much time do we just waste on our phone? Sometimes I'll be looking at Facebook, you know, before I go to bed on my phone. I'm like, what am I even doing, you know? And even just the other night, this is, this is funny, but I literally, like, I dropped the phone on my face because I, I don't even know. I, I was just, I was so tired, but I was looking at Facebook. I was like, this is a complete and utter waste of time. Put it down and just go to sleep, you know? Uh, but, but really, you know? Take that as a challenge this week. Spend more time in prayer and reading your Bible than you do on your phone or, or some other activities that are maybe uh, just consuming your time. We'll, we'll never reach the lost without a burden for the lost. So what does the burden of Jeremiah teach us about reaching the lost? The first thing we see is that the burden requires repentance. Secondly, the burden uh, needs rejection. There's voices we need to reject. And number three is this, a burden must be ruined. A burden must be ruined. Verses 9 and 10 say this. This is Jeremiah speaking. He says, My heart is broken because of the false prophets, and my bones tremble. I stagger like a drunkard, like someone overcome with wine, because of the holy words the Lord has spoken against them. For the land is full of adultery, and it lies under a curse. The land itself is in mourning. Its wilderness pastures are dried up, for they all do evil and abuse what power they have. My brokenness, 
for the lost world around me rarely, if ever, has matched the brokenness of Jeremiah. The the weeping prophet was ruined for the disobedient. Absolutely wrecked. He weeps over the false prophets and the lost and wicked people. For he knows that their sin will give birth to death and destruction. Honestly, I, I can't imagine being in Jeremiah's shoes. His ministry was almost entirely negative. Jeremiah walked in obedience to God. But the people he preached to did not repent. They did not turn to God. And consequently, they experienced the judgment of God. Jeremiah is described, however, as heartbroken, bones shaking, weeping, so distraught, he appeared to be like a drunk person. Here's a man who knows the fate of these people if they do not turn to God, and he was ruined for them, longing for their repentance and their faith. And I I have to wonder, do I have that kind of concern for the lost? Do I have an appropriate sense of urgency for those who do not yet know Jesus as their Savior? I read a a book recently called Living in a Gray World, a Christian teen's guide to understanding homosexuality. Dr. Preston Sprinkle, who wrote the book, along with another book called People to be Loved. I would highly recommend both books, by the way. And they challenge Christians to do a better job of ministering to all people, especially those who identify as LGBTQ. And in the book, Preston shares several stories of teens who were involved in a church, shared openly about being gay, and how they were received. And unfortunately... Rejection and ridicule are a common theme. An absolutely heart-wrenching contributing factor to the sky-high suicide rate of LGBTQ teens. And in the book, Preston shares a story of Eric. And I want to share it with you today because I think it's a fitting story. He says this, Eric Borges was raised in a Christian home but experienced same-sex attraction. He was ridiculed at school. My name was not Eric, but faggot. I was stalked, spit on, and ostracized. I was told that the inherent, very essence of my being was unacceptable. Even as Christian parents told him he was disgusting, perverted, 
unnatural, and damned to hell. One month after Eric Borges told his story through a YouTube video, he killed himself. Ben Woods, another story that Preston shares in the book, also couldn't handle the loneliness and shame any longer. A few years after he was shamed in front of the youth group, he also killed himself. Now, the message today is not about understanding what the Bible says about homosexuality and how the church can and should respond. That's, that's another message for another day. These stories, and stories like it, they, they ought to absolutely break our hearts. And church, if they don't, seriously, if they don't break our hearts, then we need to repent. Because these, these, are, these stories show us individuals, real people, people that Christ Jesus, by the way, loves without measure. And died for the same way he died for me, right? Individuals who sought out help and counsel and friendship in the church. And the church, Christians, were more concerned with being right than they were concerned about the real person right in front of them. The truth is that Eric and Ben's story, what they reveal to us and illustrate for us, is the absolute and unfortunately true oftentimes, the heartlessness of the church and God's people. Church, we need to repent. We need to repent. Why, why are we so concerned about being right and winning an argument. I don't know about you, but winning the argument generally does not win someone into surrendering to Jesus and turning to Him for salvation. Usually doesn't. Usually winning the argument, it does something in us that has a lot more to say about our own wicked heart than anything else. So we need, we need to repent of that kind of pride. We need to repent for failing to love. We need to repent for being more interested in getting fed in church and having great worship in church than we are interested in seeing lost People experience life in Christ. We need to repent for a lack of burden for the lost. We need to pray. Man, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would break through the hard spiritual ground of individuals' hearts that do not yet know Jesus as their Savior. And I'll be bold enough to say to myself as well that if we are not praying for the lost, then we've got no burden for the lost. So three practical challenges as we wrap up today. First one is this. Take out your cell phone and smash it. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, take out your cell phone. 
And uh, I challenge you to, to uh, create a reminder on your phone for 9.51 a.m. or p.m. every day that just says, pray for the lost. That's it. Pray for the lost. And actually, uh, we're challenging every church across our entire denomination to do that. And, and when it goes off, pray for the lost. Literally, as I was preaching, it popped up on my iPad that I'm preaching from. Pray for the lost. 951, pray for the lost. So when it goes off, pray for the lost. Pray for double the salvations in our church this year as compared to last year. I'm praying for 410 salvations at Element Church this year. Pray for that. Pray for people by name, people in your life that don't yet know Jesus. Pray for the lost. Second thing is this. On your seat, there's an invite card to the Easter services. Uh, This is a golden opportunity for you to invite somebody to come to church with you. Uh, So I encourage you to take that invite card and pray. Pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to to, to, to invite someone to come to church with me. You know, you don't have to preach the entire gospel message to them in that moment. Invite them to come to church with you. Simple is that. And then take that opportunity when God gives the opportunity to you. Lastly, uh, on your phone, if you're on Facebook, uh, go to Facebook, search Element Church WY, scroll down to our posts, and share the post that has the Easter service times on it. Uh, it looks a lot like the card that's on your seat. Do that multiple times over the next couple weeks, and uh, it'd be awesome to just absolutely pack every uh, service out that day. We will never reach the lost without a burden for the lost. So what does the burden of Jeremiah teach us about reaching the lost? A burden requires repentance. A burden needs rejection. And a burden needs to be ruined. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I pray that you would give me, give us a burden for the lost. Give us opportunities this week to have an impact on people that don't don't yet know you. Help us, Lord, to model your life and your love to people that don't yet know you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, Just a reminder, if you're new here, we'd love to meet you over in the living room. It's right through these doors, right across the lobby. Uh, If you'd like somebody to pray with you today, uh, you can stop by the purple tent on your way out. And if you're looking for a place to give your offering, uh, there's giving boxes on your way out of the auditorium or in the lobby. Hope you have a great week. You are dismissed.